Boba Fett. And I'm wishing you all a very Merry Christmas, as you wish. And welcome to another edition of Across the County. I'm Noah. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, it is Christmas Day here at the radio show, and I'm very excited. I thought, who could I have on for a great Christmas present, not just to you, the listening audience, but to myself as well. And one of my favorite people is Mark Anthony Austin. Yeah, we're not going to talk about the important issues of the day, because it's Christmas. We're going to talk about a lot of the things that he and I have in common. We love movies overall, and he not only has been in one of the hugest movies of all time, but he works on them for his career, and so we're going to get into that today. Of course, I'm talking about Mark Anthony Austin. He's a pre- and post-vis supervisor, a cinematographer, animator, director, writer, and an actor most notably from a film you may have heard of, a little project called Star Wars Episode 4, A New Hope Special Edition, and he played Boba Fett. We'll touch on that a bit just a little bit later on. As we have this conversation, go to markanthonyaustin.com. Mark, thanks for coming back on, my friend. Merry Christmas to you, and it's good to talk. Merry Christmas to you. It's a great, great Christmas, and I'm so pleased to be on the show again. Well, we've had you on my show earlier and other shows I produced in the year. And this latter part of the year, how has it been for you personally? We'll get into what you've been doing with movies here in just a bit, but catch us up. The last part of the year, well, the last part of the year, you know, has been the same old, same old working from home. But uh, I did recently have um, a family uh, crisis where my mother sadly passed in September. And so, you know, this Christmas is going to be just a little bit different from the ones in the past, just because she held Christmas so dear to her. To her. And it was a, such a big moment. She made it a big moment for all of us. You know, she kind of, you know, forced us to be merry. And so, you know, we've kind of inherited that. And it's going to be an odd Christmas having her not here, but we're going to celebrate it in memory of her. So. And that's the best way to do it. I lost my grandmother. I was talking to you off the air right before we got started in late October. Just recently mm-hmm. experienced my first Thanksgiving without my grandmother. And, you know, some of the family hadn't talked in a long time. And she really brought the family together. We did a radio tribute to her. And now as I approach Christmas, I'm so excited to be able to celebrate and honor her memory. And, you know, and yeah, I still cry, but I smile more than I cry, Mark. Yeah, I mean, that's you hit the nail on the head when you said honoring her memory, because that really is what we have done as a family. You know, our family, are, you know, spread out. You know, I'm in the States. I'm the only one in the States in my family. But I haven't spoken this much to my family since the funeral in September. Then, you know, and it's because of, you know, just as an honor of her memory, we have kind of laid aside those family dramas and just connected and communicated because life is too short otherwise, you know? And at the end of the day, that's what it's all about, my friend. You know, we need to be able to hold with this crazy world that we live in, our families, each and every one of them, near and dear to our hearts and support each other. Yeah, exactly that. And, And, you know, there are those trivial kind of disputes, but really, you know, Life gets in the way most of the time. You know, we all have our kind of like our to-do list, which is usually like running errands or something to do with generating enough income to pay the mortgage and stuff. And we usually kind of forget about the most important things, which are 
you know, communication to your loved ones. And so we've kind of flipped that on its head and we've made communication kind of our priority number one and put all the other, you know, essentials second place, you know. So family comes first, you know, definitely communication with loved ones comes first, everything else comes second. And that's kind of unusual because it's not, you know, this day and age, everyone is so programmed into, you know, just the rat race. You know, just getting by is so hard in these financial times to get by that family kind of suffers as a consequence. And so we've tried to turn that on its head, you know, like I said, in honor of her memory. And uh, so far, we've done a very good job, I think. Well, keep it up. I think you're doing (laughs) tremendous, Mark. Well, before I start picking your brain on what inspires you, uh, some new projects I want to have your perspective on, let's talk about your work, your current work with Netflix that we teased a little bit last time. Back to the Outback is now out and it's on the platform. People can catch it on Netflix. Let's talk about your contributions to the project, what it's about and what you're most proud of. Uh, well, I hear it's in the, uh, the top 10 on Netflix. Nice. So that's a good sign. Um, my contribution, I worked on four sequences in the movie. Um, one of which was the opening sequence where you get to meet the characters and you get to meet the hero of the character, which is Maddie the Snake. Uh, and then the other big sequence is the big kind of, uh, we called it Fury Road, because it's literally like the Mad Max Fury Road chase. Cool. And those two sequences are so different, such a contrast between the two, that uh, I, I really enjoyed the four sequences I was given, they, they really did have a different feel. Uh, a third sequence I worked on was the escape from the zoo without giving anything too much away. Uh, the escape from the zoo uh, to the tune of Billie Eilish, no less. Um, but like I said, the, 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 contrast in, the contrast between all the sequences has been really, really kind of rewarding for me. And working for Netflix, they just have a different attitude. They want to make movies right the right way instead of, you know, adhering to a release date and saying, okay, well, we're going to make a movie, but it's going to release on this date, regardless of any problems we encounter. Netflix have just had this attitude where we want to make it right. So if it's not right and we need more time, we'll just bump that date up. And that is a whole new way of working for me. I'm, I'm so happy to be in that kind of environment where the, you know, the emphasis is on quality. Yeah, you and, seemed very and, positive about working with them on our last chat just because of that fluid way, that new fluid nature about making projects. And again, at the end of the day, the quality is supreme. Yeah, yeah. I think everything, everything that Netflix um, streams they have been behind, you know, encouraging the filmmakers and the artists along the way. They, 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 I've never had a company that has been that supportive of, I just said, you know, I just said that my, my mother passed and I had to fly back to England and they were so supportive of me going. They just said, go, don't worry about your time card. We'll sort everything out. 
And when I went there, I, I went there while she was in hospital. And, you know, sadly, after a week is when she passed. And I called them to say, um, I'm really sorry, but the funeral isn't going to be within a week. It's going to be like maybe three weeks time because of, you know, COVID and there's certain complications, you know, with pandemic issues. And so they were just like, that's fine. You just take as much time as you like. Don't worry about it. And I, it's night and day to a lot of other film studios I've worked at. And I've worked at a lot of other film studios, but they have been so good. I, I can't sing Netflix's praises enough. That's awesome. So the new Matrix movie, Mark, has come out. It's called Matrix Resurrections, and it just hit theaters this past week. Now, I'm a huge fan of the franchise for many reasons, and I was more excited for this film than I can really describe. Non-spoilers here. The only two things I really would have changed to amp up the film in a very needed way, I would have loved to have seen Lawrence Fishburne and Hugo Weaving reprise their roles, even though they did a slick job at explaining their absence. But needless to say... The effects in the Matrix franchise 20 years ago was so groundbreaking, and it probably inspired a lot of visual effects artists like yourself. So my question to you is, back in the day, 20 plus years ago, when the Matrix franchise first kicked off and you had all these groundbreaking effects, did that inspire you in any way in how you were progressing with your work? And then the next question is, did you see some of this in some of the projects you eventually did? Well, when The Matrix was out, I had taken a detail from special effects and I'd gone into what we call finals animation or character animation. And so during the the original Matrix trilogy, I was working at Disney. And so my focus was really on character animation. In other words, I was responsible for making sure that that character had a true personality that people could you know, believe in the character and identify with the character. And so it wasn't, I didn't ever think at that time when the Matrix came out that I would return to special effects. I really didn't, I really thought I was going to be working for Disney for life, which some people do, a lot of people do. Um, But I, I think that in special effects, I think just the general rule is that you want to try you want to try to bring something new to the silver screen. You, you don't, we don't particularly like when the director says, oh, just give me, you remember that moment in blah, 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 when he does that and, and I want that. And it's like, oh, yeah, but that's been done, you know. Mm-hmm. We always want to try and give something that the audience hasn't seen or present it in a way that they haven't seen before. And so whenever I do watch uh, movies that inspire me, I take – you know, it's like a, I have a very photographic memory, uh, so much so that if someone tells me something, it's much easier if I see that what they're telling me written down than listening to them say it. But when I watch a movie, I take a kind of a mental snapshot of what I've just seen and the way they've done it and, you know, place that in the archive, you know, yeah. <laughs> because I know I'm going to need it in the future at some point. Someone's going to either refer to it or make some kind of connection to it, um, or use it to say, oh, Matrix meets, and they'll just, you know, describe another movie, and you kind of like, you know, you try to imagine what the director is imagining. That's the hardest part of my job, is to 
read the mind of the director. And I always say to them, I say, you know, you can spend as much words as you like, just the more you can describe what you're seeing in your head, the better I can deliver that back to you, you know, and hopefully plus it out in the process. Um, and the plussing out is, you know, taking, like I said, what you've seen and giving some twist on it or some extra oomph on it that either the audience weren't expecting or, you know, just, just to kind of up the ante a, a, a bit. But, um, yeah, I do that all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm terrible because I can't really watch movies without and switch that off. Yeah, I, ma- I imagine you're, you're just like, I want to enjoy this thing, but you're, you know, you're taking mental and photographic notes along the way. It's, it's, it, it kind of interferes with my, because I'll be, if I see something that really uh, registers with me, my brain starts thinking about it. And so during that mulling or that thinking about period, I'm missing the movie. So uh, I have to kind of quickly kind of catch up with where I was. I kind of, depart from the movie for a second and kind of, you know, obsess about this thing I've just seen. Um, so yeah, it, it does interfere with my movie watching and I usually have to watch movies a couple of times for that reason. Did the matrix ever come up over the years by any of the people that you worked with producers and directors that they said, Hey, we want something similar to this. I mean, the biggest thing that came from the matrix was bullet time. Yep. Bullet time was the thing that was the biggest repeat, you know, ask uh, following the matrix that that whole slowing down of the bullets was something that, you know, had a knock on effect, you know, for a lot of other movies. Um, And that kind of style, you know, where it's the kind of the frozen, you know, in midair and we do a 360 around the character's. Mm-hmm. That was the other part of the Matrix, which had a huge effect on special effects, you know. I'd um, love to see so, your reaction, because in the new one, Matrix Resurrections, which I just saw, and, I, and, I, and I'll give my, my feelings on this in the coming weeks, but it was an adequate follow-up, I'll say that. They do something okay. new. They do a different twist to bullet time that I think you're really going to like. Okay, well, don't tell me, because... Oh, I, I won't. And, and like I, won't. I said, I'm going to have to see it probably more than once because of that. But, um, yeah, I, I, I really love, I really love that people don't overuse effects. See, a, a special effects are great, but you don't want to overuse them. You don't want a special effects to muddy story. Special effects should enhance story. And so, you know, as much as I love special effects, my primary focus is in telling the story that this shot or this sequence needs to tell as clear as possible. And sometimes going too far with the special effects might detract from the story. You never want that. You always want it to enhance a story. I was just going to say enhance and complement is what they're used for. Yes, exactly. But, you know, sometimes people just shoehorn an effect into a movie or like opt for, I want a single camera on this, even though, cutting the camera would probably be a more effective way and a clearer way of telling the story. Sometimes they just have to shoehorn that effect into the movie. And I'm not so keen about doing those tasks. Uh, I always 
try to tell a director that, you know, we should, even if we're doing the effects CG, we always have to give, execute it in a way that it could be done practically. We don't want the camera doing anything that's going to be obviously a, a computer camera because it's flying around and mm-hmm. doing odd things. We always like to ground it so that if someone's watching an effect and it could have been done practically, they're much more accepting of that effect. I found anyway. Yeah, it just makes it seem more realistic. Mark Anthony Austin is my guest on this Christmas day. Go to markanthonyaustin.com as we go through the discussion. So there's new Marvel content coming out all the time, and I know that you have had some work with their projects with movies such as The Avengers and Thor The Dark World. What was it like working on those particular films? And is this something that you like to do? Would you like to work on more of the comic universe going forward? Because I know they have a plethora of content, like especially now with the streaming content on Disney+. Plus. I absolutely loved working on the Marvel shows, only because... Marvel shows take, you know, uh, human action and exaggerate it. So, you know, whenever we shot any mocap, uh, I remember climbing into the mocap suit and shooting the moment in Avengers when Black Widow is on the back of an alien skiff and she's climbing up onto it and she ends up, well, in my version, she used a garrote, but in the movie, she used a couple of daggers, a couple of shivs. But whenever we use the mocap, we knew that we we're going to have to, you know, 99% of the time enhance it. You know, I can't fly, but I can dress up in the mocap suit and jump as though I'm Iron Man leaping into the air. And then from that point, I have to hand animate the, uh, the model. And so I loved that. I loved the fact that, you know, it took, you know, a human uh, movement and just enhance it into this Marvel big, you know, huge kind of, you know, Hulk punch, you know, when he punches the uh, the Jumbo. Uh, I'm not sure what they end up calling those creatures. We call them Jumbos, the big slug things okay. <laughs> in, in Avengers that came out the wormhole. Uh, but when there's a part where uh, Hulk says, uh, I'll tell you a secret, I'm always angry. And right. he turns, as he turns, he turns, transforms into the Hulk and punches the Jumbo. And, you know, of course, I can, I can mimic that action and use the reference, but you have to always plus it out because it's, you know, it's the Hulk. He's going to punch much stronger and much more directly than I ever can. Um, so, yeah, it was, working on Marvel shows was an absolute blast. And working with Joss Whedon was amazing. He was just an amazing director to work for. Very trusting. He was very trusting. And for the first Avengers movie, I think I worked on probably 60% of the movie um, because all the action sequences, especially the final battle, that that took a long time to pare down to, I think they wanted it like 20, 25 minutes in length. And our first uh, run-throughs were in excess of an hour. We had to really chop a lot of action out to get it to be that you know, that uh, screen time. Um, 
You must but, have had a lot of fun because the Avengers movie, you know, it doesn't really get any bigger than that. I mean, they're, each one of them was such just a marvelous experience. They're so spectacular with just about everything that they do. So to be able to, like you said, over-exaggerate some of those human qualities, and especially when you're kind of recreating it in the mocap suit, that that's awesome. That sounds like that's a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. And when I, when I was interviewing to work on that show, I interviewed with uh, Yannick Sears, who was the effects supervisor. And his main um, worry was that, you know, that the characters had to move in very unique ways. You know, you know if the character was a Black Widow, she's going to move differently to Thor. And Thor's going to move differently to Hulk. And Hulk's going to move differently to Iron Man. So everyone had to be very distinctive in their, the way that they moved and the way they executed their powers. And so that was my primary focus, was to make sure each of those characters not only was unique in the way they moved, but also was kind of, you know, there's a lot of history that goes into Marvel shows. So I was very, very sensitive to like the poses and I gleaned the, the old comics to make sure that, you know, the Hulk poses were actually Hulk poses and that, you know, that, uh, Captain America make, got into poses that were, you know, defined in, in history in these uh, comics, um, you know, the comics through years and years and years of Marvel. So I actually have a, I have a confession. Uh, when they first said you were working on Avengers, being English... <laughs> I thought they meant the new Avengers, so oh yes, <laughs> a completely different thing. And so when I went into this interview room, like I said, to talk about the Yannick Sears, I really had the wrong end of the stick. And so I learned very quickly that I'd made a big faux pas and had to, you know, I had to like switch gears really fast. Because I was thinking of like... Uh, Wasn't it Ralph Fiennes that was, that was in that, I, I believe, the Avengers movie you're talking about? That's the British one. Well, I was thinking of watching the TV series when I was a kid. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was that was what I, when I went into this Avengers interview, I was had the complete wrong idea of what movie I was going to be watching <laughs> for the next, you know, twelve months or fourteen months, whatever it ended up. Right. But uh, <laughs> you know. But it must have been uh, fun uh, reading the comics, doing all the prep work for that. Just being being able to go back through those old comic book panels. I mean, that in itself sounds like a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And I remember going, I had to do a, a conference in Miami. It was an animation conference. And they just gave me this big stack of comics to read on the plane. Uh, all the ones that were pertinent to, you know, the movie or things that they were going to be doing in the movie. They gave me this big stack of reading material. And so I spent, it was like over a Thanksgiving kind of period. And I remember just pouring through those on the plane and, and everyone being super inquisitive as to why I was working on it. I couldn't tell anyone. So, Wow, that just seems like an absolute <laughs> blast. So, yeah, I hope you get more Marvel projects in the future because, I mean, just watching all that goes in with the behind-the-scenes work and I'm into all that stuff, everybody just seems like they are just really enjoying what they're doing. Speaking of enjoying what you're doing, for the listeners that don't know, and I'm sure there's a few out there, you also played Boba Fett, a dream come true in Star Wars A New Hope Special Edition. And all these years later, do you still love it just as much now? And I think I know the answer, as you did back when you first donned the suit and put the mask on. Does it still give you that warm feeling inside, Mark? 
I mean, it does. It, it, and I felt like over the years, especially since kind of I became a bit um, more uh, present, because you know before 2015, I really was off the radar, and people just looked to Jeremy uh, Bullock when they thought of uh, Boba Fett, and Jeremy Jeremy Bullock only, uh, because he's the godfather of Boba Fett. So. Uh, but since 2015 is when I started into social media and slowly, you know, everyone seemed to kind of find out all the other actors that played Boba Fett and what their responsibilities were, uh, what scenes they were in. And so, yeah, I, there's not a, a day that I am not finding myself thankful and blessed for having the opportunity because... It wasn't like I was Jeremy Bullock and, you know, cast as a character he knew nothing about. And, you know, he played the, the role of Boba Fett and, and, you know, laid the groundwork for all of us that followed. Sure. But when I jumped into the suit, I was already since age 13 a Boba Fett fan. So for me jumping in the suit and, you know, and trying to emulate uh, Jeremy Bullock and the way he walked uh, and the way he, you know, would carry the rifle and it was a dream come true back in 1994 when we shot it. And even today, you know, I, I must admit, I do wear my Boba Fett helmet every day. That's pretty incredible, man. <laughs> maybe, maybe for doing kind of, you know, shout outs and social media or cameos or whatnot, but I do have an excuse to put my Boba Fett helmet on every day now. And <laughs> yeah, that just shows how big a, a Boba Fett uh, nerd I am. Um, but yeah, I was a, 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 the luckiest nerd in the world because I got to actually be my number one hero. So hey, not does, many people can claim that. No, it doesn't get any better than that. Did Jeremy ever give you feedback over the years before you had that a presence obviously i think some of the actors were connected so did you ever get any feedback from jeremy himself i mean the only feedback i got from jeremy uh was he never he never did mention how i portrayed boba fett or give me any kind of pointers or any critiques he was he's he was always such a gracious gracious gentleman um I do remember that when we were doing the London Film Festival in 2017, which is the last time I you know, spent time with Jeremy, uh, there was a question came up about the future of Boba Fett, and he was quick to pass that microphone to me and say, I think this is a question aimed at Mark, and, and passed me the microphone. I'm like, oh, great. You know, what am I going to say? Yeah. Um, that had to feel good, though. No, he was always really gracious, always really gracious. And he always remembered, he always remembered my name. And, you know, him being my hero, that was the biggest thrill for me, that he would know who I was. So... I've heard nothing but great things about Jeremy from several people. He just seems like he probably was a mentor to you in a way, and that mm -hmm. had to feel good. Mm -hmm. He definitely was. And I remember that he, we were doing, um, like I said, we're doing this. Uh, they had four Boba Fetts. That was the big thing for the London Film and Comic Con in 2017. They had four Boba Fetts. They had Jeremy Bullock, myself, Dickie Beer, and Alan Harris. And, uh, 
he said just before we went onto the, onto the stage, we were all back there with you know, a microphone that we had to pass between the four of us. I think mainly so we didn't speak over each other. But just before we went on, he goes, the only person we're missing is baby fat. And I was like, excuse me? He goes, Daniel, <laughs> the, the, only police, the only one we're missing is baby fat. And I just busted up. <laughs> oh, wow. Baby fat. Yeah. It was his official, that was his Jeremy Bullock official given name. <laughs> hey, well, if it comes from Jeremy, you know it, you, you know it's locked in. Yeah, yeah. So a couple of questions. And Daniel loves it. So. Oh, yeah. Well, that that's what's most important. Uh, a couple of questions here on uh, speaking of Boba Fett. I know that you did a little independent project called No Disintegrations, and there was maybe some traction moving forward with that. Any more updates? Is there still a possibility for possibly another batch of episodes? There is. They were talking about a season two just before the pandemic hit. And then the pandemic dropped, and suddenly they were kind of like, you know, thinking on their feet and said, well, let's try and think of a way we can do this utilizing Zoom in some kind of way. Um, and so they were kind of in a kind of a rewrite stage. Then a year and a half later, we were coming out of the pandemic, or it seemed like we were, and they decided that using that kind of limitation of the Zoom kind of idea was kind of impeding on the story, and it, it was... It wasn't affecting it in a good way. Mm -hmm. And so they decided that, you know, they were going to scrap that. They were going to go back there to the original idea of just writing good, funny moments, you know, centered around a, a theme for each episode. And it still is in the works. So good. Yeah. I, it, I'm hoping for a season two, but season one, that was 22 episodes we managed to make, which is pretty incredible. And where can people find that if they want to get the season one? It is very easy. It's www.nodisintegrations.tv. Yeah, check it out. I think people are going to enjoy it. And it must have been a lot of fun for you to work on as well. Just kind of a side project, but it also seemed like it was something, hey, you know, wearing the mask. It was. It was, it was another excuse to be Boba Fett. So, you know... It, I only had one excuse to jump in front of the camera as Boba Fett, and then they gave me 22 new reasons. So, you know, my, my filmography as Boba Fett would jump from one to 23 appearances. So hey, that's pretty great. I'm not complaining, no. Well, we still hope, at least I do, I am hoping that you appear somewhere in the Mandalorian universe, even if you're not Boba Fett, which we know is probably not going to happen, that maybe you're just hanging out around Boba Fett because that would just be absolutely incredible. I think it's a, a wasted opportunity, Mark, if they don't do it. Well, I spoke to all of the Boba Fetts that are still around, you know, Don B, Sticky Beer, John Morton, Daniel Logan, and they all agreed that they would be up for doing a cameo. So if John Favreau, you're listening, everyone signed up and has, gives it a big thumbs up. So if there's a scene where something happens and it cuts to like a reaction of five guys turning around, you know, and it just happens to be the five of us, that would be uh, a dream come true to be in a cameo on The Mandalorian. So, 
Well, The Mandalorian is great. I highly endorse that. Again, John, if you're listening, the Boba Fett's want it. I want it. Star Wars universe wants it. Come on, let's make it happen. But now there's also another opportunity because there's the book of Boba Fett, which I'm highly excited about. I'm sure you're really looking forward to this show as well, which is going to be coming out very, very soon. Well, I am because the two most asked questions at any convention well, how cool was it to wear the suit was the first one. And did you survive the Sarlacc? And so now, thankfully, after the Mandalorian season two, <laughs> I can say yes, I did. I mean, I always did say yes, but that was with a smile and, you know, and a hope. Uh-huh. But now I can definitively say yes, I survived the, the Sarlacc. And I was, I'm actually thrown because when I saw the book of Boba Fett, just the use of the word book made me think wrongly, made me think wrongly that we were going to see all of the stories or instances that Boba Fett went through to achieve that status that he had when he turned up in Empire. And now having seen the trailer, it's obvious that it isn't that. It's more like the Godfather, you know, kind of a storyline. The Godfather applied to the Star Wars universe almost. Yeah. The- so now I'm kind of thrown. I'm not sure what to expect. Uh, I mean, I kind of know what to expect, but it wasn't what I was anticipating, put it that way. Yeah, I the trailer was mind-blowing. I thought it looked very action-packed. It does have that underworld Godfather kind of a feel, but that, again, was not something that I was expecting. I thought, hey, maybe you're going to see how Boba Fett gets out of the Sarlacc pit. It's going to lead somehow into Empire. I was along your line of thinking, So, but I'm excited either way. Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, I can't get enough Boba Fett, period. So <laughs> I'm just glad that we have new Boba Fett and new Boba Fett toys, um, because there was a period uh, in the early 90s. The 90s was kind of a drought in Star Wars merchandise. You know, you couldn't find any any merchandise. You couldn't find hardly any merchandise Boba Fett, you know, and that's why I collected it, because it was so hard to come by. Now you can get everything Boba Fett. And I, I personally like that you can get everything Boba Fett, because it fits my house you know my wardrobe is half of it is boba fett shirts um so i'm actually loving this deluge of boba fett merchandise so yeah i'm 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 waiting and in, in anticipation for the book of boba fett at the end of the month and i will be i will be there i will stand up till midnight the night before so i can see it you know (laughs) You and me both, and uh, I will make Mm -hmm. sure if it's, you know, because that's just the way they release them. If it's at midnight, there's going to be a cup of coffee by my side because I'm not missing Mm it. Nope, nope. I'm I'm signed up. I'm ready. I'm ready already. So what's up on the horizon? 2022 is going to be here just before you know it, Mark, as we're doing this great show on Christmas Day. What's on the horizon for you project-wise? Anything you can tell us about? Uh, I can. I'm, I'm currently working on another Netflix movie. It's an anime movie. Uh, it's called Ultraman. Well, the working title is Ultraman Made in Japan. It might not be the actual title. Back to the Outback had a working title of Underground Uglies. And so it was only the last minute that they switched the title to Back to the Outback. So who knows what this movie is going to end up being called. But 
Uh, I've been working on it for the entire 2021. I'll be working on it for at least six months of 2022. So I have six months uh, just carrying on doing the same thing I've been doing this year, um, just trying to get as many sequences uh, worked out. All the ones that the directors have kind of either issues with or aren't are kind of the uh, what we call... Um, um, I'm trying to remember the word sensitive that they're sensitive to. So any sequences where there's a lot of pressure, like you know, usually battle sequences are big on sensitivity. Uh, kind of moments that are meant to be tender are sensitive as well. You need that contrast. You need that kind of that that feel in the way that we use the cameras. So camera language has to change depending on what is demanded of the sequence. And so I'm going to be doing, you know, the, the same thing I've been doing all this year, working on as many sequences as I can before my uh, end date in June, July. And then who knows? I'm not sure what I'm doing following that. But Well, you've enjoyed working for Netflix like. so far. Who knows? Maybe they'll use you for other projects because, I mean, they are just doing some amazing things. And I would love to see you do as many things there as possible. I'm sure that that's going to be the case. They are very good at um, keeping hold of the talent that they uh, are having successes with, and you know, they, so they tell me anyway. <laughs> so they tell me that they love in everything I'm doing. Um, I'm hoping that's the case, and that continues on for another six months. And yeah, I'm hoping I have. I, I usually am spoiled because I usually have a choice of projects and. If that happens in June, July, I'll be a very happy man. Well, I wish you all the best. And between that and John Favreau listening to this radio show and right now penning ideas to get you into The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett, it's just going to be amazing. It is going to be amazing. And also some of the people I'm uh, talking to, uh, I might have a future working on some of those shows, apparently. So can't say too much about that, but you might see me uh, working more directly on those shows than I currently am. So, Well, even if you're not in front of the camera as a special appearance, it still would be great to be able to work on those. So here's hoping, my friend. Yeah, my fingers are crossed. You know, my fingers always crossed. Anything that, anything that you know, keeps my family fed and clothed, uh, I, I'm all up for, so. Good man, good man. Well, as we close, Mark, with the holidays, New Year's right around the corner, Christmas today, what holiday traditions have you currently been celebrating with your family that mean most to you this time of year? Well, the biggest thing is we always do uh, a FaceTime or Zoom connect with the UK. And so uh, early this morning, we did a, 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 a uh, Zoom with my family in the UK who are, you know, enjoying evening Christmas time. Um, but we always, um, it's not really an American thing, it's a big British thing, but Boxing Day, December 26th, is always a celebration as well. Uh, when I was in England, it would be that the 25th is when you have your immediate family, and 26th is when your cousins and your aunts and uncles all congregate at one house and you have a much bigger kind of family party that second day. Um, as my family is so distant, you know, we can't do that, but we do make a big deal of December 26th as a big enjoyable day, just because 
when the end of Christmas Day kind of, you know, drops and it's midnight, it can be a bit of a, oh, you know, I've got to wait a whole year for Christmas to come again. But in our house, we have the 26th as like a, a buffer. So tomorrow is going to be a good uh, buffer where we're going to, um, you know, extend Christmas Day for one more 24-hour period. I might just have to start celebrating this myself. I think you guys are on to something. <laughs> I don't want to wait till next year. No, it gives you another excuse to eat well and, you know, and, and be merry. And, you know, it, it just takes that edge off the end of Christmas Day. You know, on the, on the 11th hour when it's in 11.59, you're like, oh, there goes Christmas. Well, this gives you another 24 hours, so I would recommend that everyone start celebrating Boxing Day. And maybe we start celebrating Boxing Day where you have to make sure all presents given involve Boba Fett. I think that's what needs to happen. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe Boba Fett boxes. Boba Fett Boxing Day should be a thing. There you go. Hey, let's do it three days. That could be December 27th. (laughs) That could be December 27th. I'd sign up for that. I'd sign up for that. Well, Mark, thanks so much for spending time with us during this Christmas day. I know you've taken some time out of your family, so, you know, you're one of my favorite people to talk to, and it's been a real treat having you on, finding out what you're up to, getting your thoughts on the movie process and other things you've worked on in the past, and again, sharing all things Boba Fett. I wish you the merriest of Christmases, my friend. But before we leave, I need to see if you can, in a certain Boba Fett voice, wish everybody out there a Merry Christmas. Oh, I would have to put the helmet on. Stand shall by. I? Yeah, you you shall, and okay. I will will go it ahead. It will sound helmet-fired, but I'm going to put the helmet on right now. Okay, he's doing it right now, putting the helmet on, getting ready for a Merry Christmas from Boba Fett. This is Boba Fett, and I'm wishing you all a very Merry Christmas, as you wish. Doesn't get any better than that. Mark Anthony Austin, Merry Christmas, my friend. Thanks for coming on across the county. Merry Christmas to you, and a Happy New Year. More coming up. We'll see you in 2022 from across the county. Also, markanthonyaustin.com.